Numbers chapter 17, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, To speak unto Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the fire pans out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are become holy. This is right after God had killed the 120 Levites who were trying to usurp Aaron's place. And all of Israel knows that God chose Aaron and his sons to be the priesthood, but they wanted to take their place. Sometimes cult Christian leaders have tried to take Jesus' place and be Jesus, but there's only one Jesus. And Aaron, as the high priest, represented Jesus being the eternal high priest. Aaron was just a temporary high priest for the Israelites, but Jesus is an eternal high priest for everybody who follows him. 3. Even the firepans of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made beaten plates for a covering of the altar, for they are become holy because they were offered before the Lord, that they may be a sign unto the children of Israel. The way the Lord preferred that they fashion me um, precious metal was by beating it. The Lord is having them take all these together, beat them together into a totally different shape. Because they're holy, they're going to keep serving the Lord. They're going to become a covering over the altar. 4. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen fire pans, which they that were burnt had offered, and they beat them out for a covering of the altar. 5. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel, to the end that no common man that is not of the seed of Aaron draw near to burn incense before the Lord, that he fare not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord spoke unto him by the hand of Moses. Now Korah was the ringleader who instigated this whole rebellion, and he and his family died because they were swallowed, swallowed up by the earth, and they went to hell alive in the last chapter. The other leaders who were going along with him were all burnt alive. And I'm sure it was really fast burning. When he consumes something alive, he does it very quickly. We'll see this again later when Elijah calls fire down to consume what's on the altar. When he consumes something, he consumes it instantly. 6. But on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. The Israelites, they just never get it. No matter how many times they're told God's word and God's will, they never accept it. And they falsely accuse God, falsely accuse Moses, and they always rebel. It isn't Moses who killed Korah, it was the Lord who killed them. And it isn't Moses who set himself up as the leader of the Israelites. The Lord set Moses up as the leader. It wasn't Aaron who decided to be high priest. The Lord made him high priest. In a lot of churches today, they say that you're not allowed to go against anything that the pastor says, and they base it on these two chapters about Korah and his rebellion. But Korah was not appointed to be a priest, and he tried to take the priest's place because he was trying to usurp the will of God. If you lovingly correct your pastor when you know your pastor is in error, if you know that he's teaching something that's completely false and against scripture, that's not doing what Korah did. That isn't rebellion. Because you're not trying to take his place and you're not instigating a rebellion. If you call everybody in church and try to get everybody mad at the pastor, then that is rebellious. But all of us actually have a duty to defend the truth that's in scripture. So when we see that our pastor is in error, we should definitely tell him. But we need to know that he really is in error and that we are being led by the Holy Spirit. 
one time I knew that a pastor was an error, but I didn't say anything for a really long time, like a whole year, because there were leaders that were under him that were there to correct him. And I was patiently waiting on the Lord that he would have one of the leaders under the pastor correct the pastor. But the pastor's teaching became so extreme in the wrong direction that I told the pastor what he was saying was wrong. And I gave him all kinds of evidence and everything. And he rejected what I said. I still stayed in that ministry because sometimes people hear you, but they don't want to admit it. So I just waited because I thought, well, maybe he'll stop teaching this. But sure enough, not only he, but the leaders under him continued to teach the very same thing over and over and over. And so then I just left. And it's between him and the Lord. See, we're not commanded to force people to repent. We're not commanded to force people to listen to the truth or to listen to the scripture. We just tell them. And it's up to them if they want to accept or reject. But we definitely don't try to usurp their appointed place of authority. And a rebuke doesn't mean tearing the person down or threatening them. It simply means correcting them. You can rebuke your pastor, but you really should be led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you force the followers to listen to you or you force the pastor to repent. God is never controlling with anybody. We all get to make our own choices. So we simply say what we have to say. Then at that point, we can be quiet. 7. And it came to pass when the congregation was assembled against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. The cloud is always in a pillar shape above the tabernacle, but when it hovers low, like a cloud instead of a pillar, that's when the Lord is really drawing near, and that gets people's attention because it's powerful and they can't go anywhere near it because of the power of God. 8. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting. 9. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 10. Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. So this is like the fourth or fifth time that God has been fed up with the Israelites. And I don't blame him because it's painful to read these chapters in the scripture because there's no reason for them to be angry with God or Moses. They've been given so many blessings and so many miracles have come their way. 11. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take thy fire pan and put fire therein from off the altar and lay incense thereon and carry it quickly unto the congregation and make atonement for them for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Moses told Aaron to hurry up and make atonement quickly so that the people wouldn't die. Now this happened earlier in the book of Exodus when the people were going to die from a plague because they complained that they didn't have meat and then God gave them quail to eat. But he was so furious with them that he decided to send a plague to them as soon as they started eating the quail. So this is the second time that they had to get rescued from a plague because God's wrath fell on them. He told Aaron to go and burn some incense really quick to ask for intercession for the people. 12. And Aaron took as Moses spoke and ran into the midst of the assembly, and behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. 13. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. With Aaron standing there with holy incense in his censer, he was able to stop the plague physically. Isn't that amazing? The people on the right were still alive and the people on the left were dead. And the plague stopped right where Aaron was.
God made that incense holy. And because that incense was holy, it stopped the plague. And that tells you something. That tells you that when God makes something holy, he's serious about it. And he's not wishy-washy. And he doesn't change his mind in five minutes. So what he's made holy is holy. There's people who work for the Lord. They're considered holy in, in a sense when they're doing their work for the Lord. We don't want to interfere with it. And there's organizations that are used for the Lord. And we don't want to interfere with what the Lord is doing. There's buildings that the Lord uses. There's finances that the Lord uses. And what he has made holy is holy. 14. Now they that died by the plague were 14,700 besides them that died about the matter of Korah. There was 120 dead, plus Korah's family. So it's more than 120, plus 14,700 of grumbling Israelites. 15. And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tent of meeting, and the plague was stayed. 16. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 17. Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of them rods, one for each father's house. What he means is like a staff or a stick made of wood. It could be a branch that's cut into a stick. Of all their princes, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, thou shalt write every man's name upon his rod. They're going to pick a prince for each tribe, and then that prince's name is going to be written or kind of inscribed on each rod to represent his tribe. 18. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of their father's houses. Each rod represents a tribe, but it doesn't have the name of the tribe on it. It has the name of the prince who represents that tribe on it. 19. And thou shalt lay them up in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. God wants them set up in front of the ark of the testimony, behind the veil. 20. And it shall come to pass that the man whom I shall choose, his rod shall bud, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against you. Now these rods are made of wood that's basically a branch cut off of a tree, and then they're probably carved and made straight. But normally a bud could never bloom unless it's still connected to the tree. But God is going to make the man who he chooses and the tribe who he chooses their stick is going to bud as if it were a branch growing on a growing tree. So this is going to be a big miracle. And I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against you. 21. And Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, and all their princes gave him rods for each prince one, according to their father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. 22. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tent of meeting. 23. And it came to pass on the morrow, which means the next day, that Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, and put forth buds, and bloomed blossoms, and bore ripe almonds. God goes way overboard. It had buds and blossoms and ripe almonds. So it looked like an almond branch, which is really amazing. Almond means divine favor. Aaron's branch had divine favor. The Levites were favored to be the temple servants of God. And Aaron is favored, his family, to be the high priests. 24. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. And they know which rod is theirs because it has their name on it. But of course, no rod has any buds or almonds or blossoms except for Aaron's. 
25. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony, to keep it there, for a token against the rebellious children, that there may be made an end of their murmurings against me, that they die not. To remind the Israelites not to grumble and complain. Do you think it's going to work? God is so good. He's so patient. But I know from reading the Bible, it's not going to work. It's another special ed aid for the children of Israel to finally learn their lesson. These Israelites are totally demon-plagued. They're not acting rational at all. They're acting crazy. And it's all because of demonic activity. Demons make people do crazy, stupid things. And that's kind of what we see here with the Israelites. And that's why all of us need to be born again. Demons interact in the flesh, which is our self-will. And so when we crucify the flesh, then the demon activity gets crucified with it because they can't mess with our spirit. And when you crucify the flesh, the spirit overrides the flesh. But if you indulge the flesh and you engage in sin and you want to do all kinds of sensual things to please yourself, then your flesh overrides your spirit. And that's when bad things come into your life. So that's why Jesus said, take up your cross, crucify the flesh, which means to die to your own self-will. And then we have peace in our lives. But until we die to our own self-will, there's never any peace. We always have to have more drugs, more sex, more clothes, more relationships, more money. Everything has to be more, 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 and you're never satisfied. And that's why we need to crucify the flesh. These Israelites have already been given everything by God. They were given deliverance from slavery. They were given a new future, a new life. They were given independence and freedom. They were given food from heaven. The manna came down. The quail came down. They got water from a rock, the rock of Horeb. A whole river came out of it. Even though they have everything, it's not enough because they're living in the flesh, just like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had everything. They had perfect health. They were never cold. They were never hot. They weren't dying. They weren't getting older. They had beautiful, perfect food of all kinds, just hundreds and hundreds of different types of food that they could eat, wide variety of the most delicious fruits and vegetables ever. But it wasn't enough for them. They just had to have fruit from that one forbidden tree. When you stop putting the flesh first and you try to put Jesus first, you don't really want that much anymore. You just want to make the Lord happy. And when God's happy with you, you're happy. And that's enough. And you're satisfied. It's just really nice. 26. Thus did Moses as the Lord commanded him, so did he. 27. And the children of Israel spoke unto Moses, saying, Behold, we perish, we are undone, we are all undone. So you see, they do realize that God is going to destroy them for their sins. 28. Every one that cometh near, that cometh near unto the tabernacle of the Lord is to die. Shall we wholly perish? They're totally afraid of God, but in the wrong way. They're not afraid of sinning and disappointing the Lord. They're only afraid of his wrath. They're only afraid of punishment, but they're not afraid of sin. They don't understand the holiness of the Lord. They see him as their enemy, and he's always been their friend. He has given them so much. They're just afraid of getting in trouble. They're in a terrible state, just the way I used to act before I got saved. Just a terrible state. No common sense, no reason, no self-control, no appreciation for what God had already done for me. No understanding of my identity in Christ. No future and no hope for the future.
That's where the Israelites are, and that's where all of us are before Jesus comes and changes our lives. It's frustrating reading these chapters, but they remind me how frustrating it must be for God to see us wallowing in sin when we could have total peace and total happiness in Him if we would just repent. Then our lives would be so much better. Anyway, that's where these Israelites are now. They're in sin So they have no peace and no happiness and no joy, even though God has given them everything on a silver platter, but they can't see it. And that's where we end in Numbers chapter 17.